This episode of The Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Springwater. Harrogate is the home of the British Spa and Britain's premium natural source water. everyone, welcome back to the Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by the woman that I think hands down has the best job in showbiz. A performer at heart and an expert in property, the fabulous Scarlett Douglas is here to tell me all about swapping the bright lights of the stage for a place in the sun. So settle down, turn us up and get ready to join in with our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, it is so lovely to have you with us. It's another week of lockdown, but the birds are tweeting, the buds are showing, and we can feel that spring is just around the corner. Yes. (laughs) Oh, how I am so desperate for a little bit of summer sun on my skin. And one lady who knows where all of the hottest holiday hotspots are when we're finally allowed to get back out there is my gorgeous special guest today. It's a Place in the Sun presenter, Scarlett Douglas. Hi, Scarlett. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good now the sun's out, that's for sure. Tell me about it. Honest to God, it's such a pleasure to have you with me today. And I just want to start by asking... How are you managing? Are you coping? I'm not coping at all. Natalie, I love the sunshine. Even before I started with A Place in the Sun, the sun has just been my favourite thing. So to be back in the UK in January, when I'd normally be out filming either in the Caribbean or Florida. Um, it's <laughs> just been, to drop that in. <laughs> dropping that in there. It's been very cold. And obviously, t- to be fair, waking up to snow the other day was really nice. It was really nice. And I guess I do miss that. But I looked at it from the warmth of my own home. I didn't go out. I stayed in. I admired it. The sun came out, melted it all away, and then I was happy. I mean, absolutely. I I I always say to my little boy, I go, I think mummy's a flower. I'm best in the sunshine. Like that's when I bloom. That's when I'm happiest. That's definitely when I feel my best. And yeah, it's been tough. And also going through this this difficult time of lockdown in this time of you know January, February. Wow. I mean, for people's mental health, it's it's been tough, hasn't it? You know, I definitely have struggled. And what kind of things have you done to kind of, you know, keep yourself lifted? I have to say, this is the first lockdown for me when I've really felt it. So lockdown one, obviously, no one really knew what was happening. We had amazing weather. So I was in my back garden. I was doing interviews online. It was keeping me motivated. It was just getting me up and giving me something to do, especially Joe Wicks as well, keeping fit with him every morning. It was great. And then the second lockdown, I was away for about three and a half months filming um, both of my shows back to back. And that was in Spain and Italy and France. And it was great. And then coming back and really being in a lockdown now, um has been really tough for me actually I'm normally very positive I'm like come on get up go be motivated do something but I've really struggled this time around and I think the only thing that's kind of not the only thing but a lot of the things that are getting me through one I'm with my partner and he's great so it's nice that I'm not locked down on my own mm-hmm. um two I've bought two amazing puzzles I've started on one it's already taken me like four days to just do the outline so that's going to take me a good 
couple of weeks. Um, listening to music, I've tried different things. I've started writing a book. Um, oh, I've started wow. writing my own music. Yeah, so I'm just trying to find things that keep me active, even if it's something something small a day, something little a day it's still giving me something to get up and do, you know, and obviously going from a one walk a day around the park, which I stopped for a couple of weeks, but I'm back on that now. So I think just trying to keep my mind active and creative has been the best way for me to deal with it. I was just about to say, you are naturally a creative person at heart. I mean, you know, as I mentioned kind of in my introduction, you started as a performer, as a musical theatre performer, actually. You know, you went to college, you trained, and then you've been in so many different shows. You know, Tell me about that love of performing. Where did that come from? I I absolutely love it. I adore it. I have been probably since birth being the one trying to get attention from everyone. I've got two older brothers um, and I think, yeah, trying to grab everyone's attention is probably what started it for me and just being in the limelight and showing off. I loved it when I was younger. I loved it from a child. Um, I, I've always loved singing. My dad had a radio station, so he was always around music. So I was always in there listening to different artists performing live and listening to all different types of music. And I think that really solidified for me that that was what I was going to do because I just loved it you know when you have a passion for something and you're so excited to get up and go to work with daddy or to listen to a new song and I think being brought up on such incredible music and watching some incredible artists just made me feel that that's exactly what I wanted to do um so from a young age I started dancing I think it was about two and a half three I started dancing mm. and I used to stop and start quite a lot because I loved football as well my brothers played football and I wanted to be a footballer so I was a bit of a tomboy and I remember my mum just saying can you please be a girl I've got two boys just be a bit girly for me <laughs> so I focused on the singing and the dancing element of things and it just kind of went from there I joined um an operatic society, East Hearts, East Hearts Operatic Society, it's called EHOS. Uh, so we did amateur shows we'd put on. And then at the age of 16, I went to perform in arts college. And then from 19, I've been working professionally in the industry and it's the best thing I've ever done. And it's been very scary at times um, because I'm self-employed and the musical theatre industry is very cutthroat. It's very hard, as I think is any entertainment um, specified career. And I think just having the right sort of people around and remembering why I got into it and why I'm passionate about it has just helped me get through it constantly. And anytime you get a knockback, just picking myself up again and saying, well, this is what you want to do. So you're going to have to take the good with the bad because I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. This is the thing. I mean, my background was in musical theatre and it's something that when I, same, same kind of thing, really, when I was so passionate about it when I was younger and you do you suffer so much rejection in those early years. You know, you're going up for job after job and there's open calls where you could be stood outside and it's freezing cold and you're, please pick me. And you know, it's, and you have to really toughen up and build resilience, don't you? I mean, you know, you've mm. been in some incredible shows. You've been in We Will Rock You, Hairspray, Jesus Christ Superstar, but also as well, I Can Sing, I Can't Sing, which was produced by Psycho and featured Cynthia Erivo. Now that, didn't really go down brilliantly with the press. It had some, I suppose, some, yeah, some negativity towards it. And that was quite difficult, I expect, for all of you involved in that show to take. Um, tell me about that. How did that, how did that feel? Did that impact your confidence? Um, do you know what? It was such a surreal experience, that musical, first of all, I have to say. And meeting Harry Hill and working with him alongside the script, he was amazing. Um, and it was very wacky. They put hundreds and thousands of pounds into this production and it was 
a bittersweet feeling because it's the first time I'd performed at the um, London Palladium in a musical. They had got like, as they called it, the best of the best in terms of cast together to make this crazy huge show. And we loved it because we were with it from the birth, you know, and, and we grew with it and we were there for the changes and the adaptations and the hours and hours of doing a tech and the hour and a half interval that we had for the initial previews, first week of previews. Um, so we always knew it was going to be a show that was a bit like Marmite. You'd either love it or you'd hate it because we'd experienced all of it. Um, what we didn't expect was for it to close as soon as it did. So we only did two and a half months and then we got our notice and that was it. We're supposed to do a whole year contract. We've got two and a half months and they just gave us a two week notice. That's it. Sorry guys, the show's closing. And it was a shame because for us, we kind of felt like maybe it was a tax write-off because they spent all this money doing an EPK and then we never saw the EPK go anywhere. Um, I think there were a few advertisements, advertisements on buses, but we only kind of saw them every now and then. And then on X Factor itself, we never actually got to perform on the TV show or have a clip out on the TV show. So for us, it was like, are you trying to promote us or are you just trying to make it look like you're promoting us? And I think that's probably where it didn't do as well as it could have done. And also the name, I can't sing. Loads of people thought it was X Factor Rejects that were putting a show on at the London Palladium. So I think there were lots of elements to it that just kind of, it, it just didn't work. It's such a shame because it was a crazy show and it was fun. People would come out saying, I, I feel like I've just been on LSD, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was like, it, was a, it was crazy. It was fun. It was carefree, but it just didn't work. And it's a yeah, shame. It, it had huge names. I mean, again, yourself and Cynthia Arriva, who's like a huge Broadway star. You've gone on to have an incredible career in presenting as well. I mean, it's so it, it had this amazing cast and all the potential to be brilliant. But then mm. when you get that notice handed to you, you know, t- two months in, what did you how did you feel? I mean, how did you pick yourself back up from that? Because there'll be a lot of people now in this current situation that seemingly thought that they were in a relatively good position and all of a sudden they will have been made redundant or, mm-hmm. you know, just businesses collapsing. And what what do you do now from our point of view? We're in the self-employment kind of business, so you do get used to it. But what's your advice? I mean, what did you do in that time? It was really tricky and I found out I was at home I'd injured myself so I couldn't do one of the shows when they came in afterwards and let everyone know that you know we, we'd been given our notice and my friend had called me from the show and she said like what I'm about to tell you is not a joke I'm being serious but unfortunately we've just been given our notice and I was like are you joking she said Scarlett I've just told you what I'm about to tell you is not a joke um and instantly just everything sank because I do property development as well I just recently bought a property that I was going to be renovating and doing up and and in my head, the money that I had coming in was going to pay for that. So the minute the show closed, all that money that I projected I was going to be getting in to help me do the renovation was just gone and was taken from me. Um, So the only real way I managed to pick myself up was because I've got a great network network around me, a fantastic support network in my family and friends. And I remember calling one of my brothers and just saying, the show's been pulled, what am I going to do? I've got no work. And he just reminded me that I'm a fighter and no matter what, I always get up and I go again. So even when I think something's not right or if something has fallen through like the show had done, I always get up and I go again and I always work twice as hard to get something 10 times better. Um, So luckily for me, the show closed. I went straight into hustle mode, looked up auditions, castings, and I ended up um, auditioning for Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway on an arena tour and I was a backing dancer for them. And long story short, thanks to that, 
I'm now where I am. I mean, so in we've a way, got so much of that to cover. Like I'm like oh, so much. But you know, <laughs> going back to kind of your your point there with your family, I mean, that's something I really want to talk to you about because your dad, he had the first legal black radio station um, in the 80s. But then in 1993, unfortunately, that business kind of folded and you had to bounce back from that. And, you know, I was just going to ask, do you think that that experience for you guys as a family really taught you about being money savvy, but also having an incredible work ethic? Because both you and your brothers, you know, being footballers, being a performer, you've got an amazing work ethic. Do you think that's that's come from your family and just your your dads and your mum as well, you know, kind of wanting to go out there and work and provide and constantly give to, to, your, to the children? Absolutely. My parents work so hard and they always have done. I think just watching how much they do and they did for us as, as their children, it just made me want to work harder because it made me want to make sure that at some point I could treat them and I could give them a fantastic retirement and they can have a great time, you know, traveling the world with me or with my brothers. And I think having those sort of role models really does instill something into you that you have to work hard if you want to succeed. Now, unfortunately, my dad's radio station, yeah, it fell through and it wasn't due to any fault of his own. It was people around him that he trusted that unfortunately, you know, ended up being a little bit dodgy. And that's why, it happened and I think that also made us realize that be very careful who you do have in your support network be very careful with who you trust and that's why as a family we're so close because we know we can go to any one of ourselves and 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 help out with whatever way we may need to so um I learned a great lesson from that and my dad always says at the time it was one of the hardest things Mm. but he was actually quite grateful for it happening because it meant he got to see his children grow up you know at the time when it fell through I was five four or five um And I think how tough it was having the first legal black radio station in the UK, having to work crazy hours, having to make sure the artists that you've got coming over uh, um, are looked after, have great accommodation, are fed, are watered. You know, that's a 24-hour job. So I think my dad, him turning it into a positive has always made me always turn anything negative into a positive. What positive can I take from this? Yes, you did something incredible, Dad, and you had beyond all recognition you've you've ended up now having this amazing radio station you've made history it's a shame that it didn't work out the way we wanted it to but the positive is you were the founder of that you know and you can take that from it and and we can look at you and we can learn from you and we can put certain things into place for ourselves moving forward I mean, absolutely. Like all three of you, like you say, you've gone on to forge these incredible careers, having that work ethic behind you, that determination and tenacity. I mean, I wanted to also pick up on um, a conversation that you'd had with your brother about getting into property and that being um, an investment for your pension. And I'm again, I'm there going, wow, that's such a, a big conversation to have, you know, like quite relatively young. Um, but tell me about that and tell me how that kind of spurred you on into this incredible realm of property and investment. Yeah, well, I was just really lucky, actually. So at the age of 25, my brother said, look, you don't have a pension. I actually had thought I'd taken out an equity pension. And when I looked into it, I hadn't. I'd obviously just, <laughs> you just read up on the all membership. the... <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And I'm thinking, hang on a second. I've been working in theatre for like five years and I don't have oh. a pension. What's going on? Um, so, yeah, so my brother was the one that said, you know, you really need to think about what you're going to do once you can't sing and dance anymore. And I'm thinking, I could do this forever, you know. Now I'm 33 and I could just about walk up the stairs without my knees cracking. Um, So he was the one that took me under his wing and said, look, I'm going to 
teach you about property development as a footballer. He did a few properties and, um, and I'm going to help you learn how to make a return on your investment. And we're going to do that by flipping property. So we put money in together that we both had and then we started. So at the age of 25, you know, I got my first property and we converted it from a one bedroom ground floor flat to a two bedroom and we sold it. We made a profit and it was great. And I loved it. And, um, and thanks to that expertise, I'm now a presenter, TV presenter. So I'm sure we'll go through that whole kind of transition period from musical theatre property to presenting. But if it wasn't for my brother, I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. There's no way. Did it take you immediately? Were you like, oh, wow, I love this. Or were you a bit like, oh, I should do this because my brother's telling me to and he's telling, talking to me about pension? I, I loved it. I tell you what, the... The restructuring and working with the architect and all that sort of stuff, I was like, Meh. that wasn't really for me. I left that to my brother. But my flair came out when I was doing the interior design side. So I could choose the colours that I wanted, the furnishings, you know, all of that sort of stuff was what just, that was it for me. I was like, right, I could totally do this forever now. I love it. I love being creative. And now finding another outlet of that was just brilliant. And so, you know, and... Um... It is. It was a very savvy move to make at that point, you know, at 25 years old, because as we said earlier, you know, the entertainment industry, crikey, is so hit and miss. And, you know, you can be in a job and be amazing one minute and everybody's that like loves you and wants to employ you. And then the next minute you're like, I can't get another mm. job. And so to have this side hustle, I suppose, at the time, you know, mm. that was kind of going on must have been brilliant for you. And obviously, as you said, you know, it just kind of, you know expanded and has brought you to where you are now but do you think that do you think women need to be a bit more um brave when it comes to investment and like property and do you know what I mean like yeah I feel like they can do it on their own absolutely I totally think it I think there are so many times that we're told or shown that men do certain jobs and that's not the case I know so many women that are in property it's unreal and whether it is just the interior design side they're still using their creative flair and you know us as women we are extremely clever we might not think in a certain practical manner as men do but we'll always work a way around it it's probably going to be better than how the men think anyway or what the outcome is with the men anyway so I think once we kind of get over that fear of oh I don't know if I can do it and look up on things and research. And if you don't have someone that's going to guide you and take your hand like I did with my brother, there are so many ways that you can find out things online and whatever it is that you're looking into doing. Like I'm now going to start a real estate course because I'm, I'm hopefully going to be moving to the States in a few years time. And I want to do real real estate. I want to sell big luxury properties. So I'm going to do it step by step. I'm going to do an online course. I'm going to speak to people that have done it. I'm going to, you know, go over there and meet estate agents and, and see how they do it. I think we just have to believe in ourselves and trust ourselves more that we'll be absolutely fine. It is that, isn't it? It's having the confidence and the self-belief because so much of the time we, I feel as women, we're kind of, as you said, then put, put in boxes of, well, women do this and men do that. And, you know, even when I was kind of reading up on you and all the research, I was like, wow, that's, you know, it's a huge step for, I can't believe I even said it for a woman to make. I mean, that was me saying that because when I think about our house finances, I get so stressed. I'm like, oh, my husband will sort that out because it does scare me. It scares me. The idea of, you know, finances and interest rates and all that kind of stuff does Mm. scare me, but it's about education, isn't it? It's about making, you know, making sure you educate yourself. 
And it's also about being brave enough to take the steps and know that everyone makes mistakes. It's that once you're thrown into something, it's that fright or flight. What are you going to do? Are you going to run away from it? Or are you actually going to face it head on and tackle it? And no matter how long it takes you to get your head around things, there are loads of things I don't know about property, but I will sit and I will read and I will try and do my research as best I can. And even if I don't understand one way, I will look at so many different articles that are telling me about the same thing, but just might explain it to me in a different way so that I understand it. So I just think it is... Don't be afraid to tackle something head on and just go for it. And everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. Um, If we go, you know, jump back to kind of when you were talking about you um, ending up doing um, Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway Arena Tour. I mean, how incredible that, again, that that situation with I Can't Sing kind of led you onto this next bit of your journey. You know, you've been a backing dancer for Paloma Faith and CeeLo Green and Craig David, and then you end up on this arena tour as a backing dancer. And that's kind of almost a twist of fate because from that moment on, things really changed, didn't they? I mean, you had a conversation with Ant and Deck about presenting and just tell me how that went. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I'm always that person that, in my head, if you don't ask, it's always going to be a no. And what's the worst that can happen? I remember that. Was it um, Dr. Pepper, the uh, advert? Dr. Pepper, what's the worst that can happen? So I just thought, you know what? We're, we were out one night. I think there were about, I think we had two or three days left of the tour. We'd all had a few drinks. Everyone was happy. It was one of the girls' birthday. And I thought, if I don't ask Anton Deck now to interview them, I'm never going to do it. And worst case scenario, they'll say no. And if I don't ask, I'm going to kick myself. So I'm just going to go and do it. So I went to... And, and we were chatting and also I think I'd kind of built up a good rapport with them anyway over the tour because as dancers we're always known as well as back and dancers we're always known as being in the back mm-hmm. so um we at lunch times that you know the dancers would sit one side and then the presenters would sit another side and I'm thinking if we're all on tour together we're all making this production together and I've always felt that way like even with musicals the crew is still part of the show because if it's yeah. not them we wouldn't have a show no set would get moved or anything so I always see us as one big team so I would just go and sit with the boys or I'd sit with the management and and I remember the dancers always looking at me like is she all right and I'm thinking yeah but you know we they can't have this show without us so um so one night we're all out and then I go and ask Anne if I could interview I said Anne look this is really cheesy I'm sure you get this all the time but I want to be a tv presenter um could I maybe interview you and Deck? He's like, yeah, of course. And he leant over, he's like, Deck, we're going to come in early tomorrow because Scarlett wants to interview us. And Deck's like, okay, cool. And then that was it. And the next day came in, I dragged my friend to come and film it for me. I got a camera from one of my other friends and we set up in their green room. And I remember them coming in and either they were hungover, they'd had an argument or something had happened because their faces were just like thunder. And I thought, oh my God, I can't be rubbish now. I cannot be rubbish. And then that in turn just spurred me on to try and do the best interview I could. And it was great. They were brilliant. They were fun. By the end of it, they said, you know what, Scarlett, if this is what you want to do, you've got to do it because you're brilliant. And just hearing that from such incredible names and well-respected personalities in the TV industry, I just thought, well, that's it. I've got to do it. I'd already been entering lots of presenting competitions and stuff. And the minute I heard that from them, I just thought, if I don't do this now, when am I ever going to do it? I'm I'm being told by the two greatest at this moment in time that I've got to go for it. So why not? Um, And they set me up a few meetings. uh, Aren't they they just the loveliest? Oh, so sorry to interrupt. I just had to say that then. (laughs) Yeah. They really are. They're so lovely. They're exactly what you see on television and they really want to help and they're really encouraging. Um, 
and and yeah and, and I had a meeting with their management and they were saying to me look there are a few ways that you can get into presenting and one of them that they suggested that worked really well for me was using an expertise and that was property so I went to my agent as I did have a presenting agent from all my competitions that I'd done I went back to her, I said look I'd had a meeting with Antindex management they give me lots of tips and advice and I want to get into presenting using my expertise of property and they didn't even know that I did property they just thought I danced and pranced around the stage eight eight days or eight shows a week so um so yeah I went and had a meeting with them and literally the same day I had that meeting they saw that a place in the sun were looking for presenters that had a property background and I'd had a show reel from all the competitions that I'd entered that I'd put together I had obviously all the proof of the properties that I'd done before and after photos so I did a few calls with them had a few emails back to back Skype auditions screen test and then probably 10 days after my screen test I found out that I got the job so from finishing the Anton Deck tour which I think was oh October I found out in like February, March that I'd got a place in the sun. So it was, it was just crazy. But again, I'm a strong believer of if you want something, you have to focus on it. And I was turning down musicals were being offered to me and I was turning them down left, right and center because I just knew that that isn't what I wanted to do anymore. I wanted to do presenting and you've got to be out of work to get work. So I, I just, yeah held on I had faith and then I mean that I is so brave I love that idea that you know that again that tenacity that determination that bravery of going no this is what I want to do and I'm willing to make those sacrifices because as you mm. say you know if you were being offered West End jobs I'm sure they would have paid relatively handsomely which would have then helped you with the property side of the career but yeah you know, making that decision to go, no, I'm going to go without and I'm going to pursue this dream of mine and then it coming into fruition. Do you think that, you know, you do have to have that kind of, I almost imagine like a vision, it's almost like a vision board in your head. Yeah. You have to visually see yourself doing that role and every decision that you will make will naturally lead you to that end point. Yeah, I'm such a believer of that. Every year, New Year's Eve, every year, I write down all the goals I want to achieve by the following year, by the end of the following year. And I visualize and visualize. And I make sure, like you said, everything I do is a step towards getting me there. Even if it's one thing a week, you know, let me see if I can find a contact for this person. Let me email that contact. Let me come up with a show idea or let me do some practice with auto cue reading on a teleprompter website. You know, there are all these things that you can do that is building up to when you get that opportunity, you're ready for it because that's that's what you're visualizing. That's the goal. That's the aim. So you've got to make sure you're ready when you get to that point, when it does come to you, that you can just go for it. Well, that's it, because, you know, as you said, really, you turn to the kind of the TV presenting career, not, not last minute, because as you say, you'd been building up to it with different things and you'd won competitions, you'd done things with MTV, but ultimately you were ready, you were good to go. Mm. And all those other um, avenues that you'd pursued led you to that point. But when you did, you know, first step onto that first job, that first property, did you just go... I've arrived. And where were you? I need to know which, which location oh, were you in? <laughs> it was. It was brilliant. So it was the 1st of June, 2015. They got me a first class flight with British Airways. I flew to Ibiza, stayed in this beautiful five-star hotel. Oh, it was just amazing. Since then, it's not been quite amazing. I think they probably like, you know, easy win <laughs> with the first one. Or they put you in high with the first episode and then it kind of, it doesn't dwindle down at all. But I've not had a first class flight since, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just, it was brilliant. And you know what was funny is that even though I'd signed the contract and I was there filming it, it still didn't settle in until I saw that first episode on TV. I still couldn't register that everything I'd 
wanted to manifest I'd actually manifested it and my my show was on tv like I, I just couldn't fathom it until until I saw it on at four o'clock on channel four whatever day it aired um I just still thought okay maybe they're gonna pull it maybe the episode wasn't good enough maybe something went wrong with the contract and they can't show it or they just don't want me anymore and then I saw it I was like oh my gosh it's actually happened this is crazy and how did your parents react and your brothers to that oh they were so happy for me they were so over the moon it was just it was the best thing because as well they'd seen how hard I worked and how much I really wanted it and I think it was the first time actually where I just said if I don't get this it just wasn't meant to be sometimes before I've been like oh if I don't get this well what have I done wrong or why this I knew I did the best I could possibly do for that for that screen test so I was happy either way obviously I'd be more ecstatic if I got it but if I didn't get it for me I was like well channel four have seen me um I've done something that I've never done before and I've absolutely loved it and I know that this is what I want to do so I'm just going to keep pursuing it until I actually get it so the fact that I did get it was just mental it was mental and everyone was so happy and we did a cheers and and yeah and it's great it's and it's been five and a half years I know five and a half years and in that five and a half years you know I love a place in the sun literally when especially at this time of year I'm like please Mm. take me somewhere anywhere (laughs) I just want to go away but there are some tricky customers or people on the show aren't they I mean you know you think to yourself do you really want to get this house or not or I mean tell me about some of your most kind of notable uh, buyers shall we say (laughs) we do get some very difficult couples on the show and I think what it is obviously when you watch the show it's an hour episode it's 47 minutes worth of footage but to get that 47 minutes worth of footage we have to film four and a half days worth of footage basically so it's a lot of content that gets chopped down so when you're watching the show you think oh this is easy this is a holiday we're just going to walk around look at some houses it's all done in a day actually it's not we look at five houses over four days and then we do the end chat on the friday so we all have to wear the same clothes for four days and then we can change for the last day so it looks like it's all Mm. in one day and and then a morning um so it takes a very long time to film. There's lots of standing around. You're in the sunshine. You can't wear a hat. You can't wear sunglasses. Um, you can't sit down unless you're on lunch. So it's actually really difficult. So people that come on thinking they're going to get <laughs> no, a free no. holiday. Don't try and make this out to be hard <laughs> to me. <laughs> Don't you no, dare. <laughs> Sorry. Honestly, it is, it is really hard. Again, there are positives of course there are loads of positives but there are some negatives to it as well and there are some really difficult times that we face on the show um house hunters being one of them but I think when they realize there's a lot of work that goes into it that's when you start to work out which ones are genuinely here to find the property and which ones just wanted a free holiday and it's always after the first day that you kind of find out day two they're 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 knackered all the couples are knackered on day two but some of them are still really enthusiastic and some of them are just like oh and then that's what you've got to try and bring up not only your energy but their energy as well and the energy of the crew and there's just so much to kind of keep juggling as as the presenter and it it looks great it looks fun but it's a lot of because I was gonna say I was even watching an episode the other day and I think it was Johnny was with a couple and she was furious she was furious and the guy was furious and they were like no no and I think Johnny actually ended up going well should we just write this one off then and I was I was cringing watching it going oh no oh no I mean what happens in those moments like do you lose your rag do you lose your patience like how do you contain yourself 
not really. So the properties are mainly picked by the producers that put the show together, basically. Um, so we never feel bad because we've not actually found the properties. So mm. it looks as though we're the ones that found it, but we haven't. So sometimes we definitely agree with the house hunters, but we have to say, well, I thought I'd bring you here because this, that and that. A lot of the times, because of what the show has managed to do, you know, in past episodes, house hunters come on thinking they can get something amazing for really, really cheap. So when we're trying to explain your budget can't stretch that far, they don't believe us and they think that we're bringing something else out. And it's like, no, 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 no. Genuinely, sometimes we can find some fantastic deals, but that's just when we're quite lucky. You're asking for this champagne lifestyle on a sparkling water budget and it doesn't exist. So that's when we get frustrated. That's when it's really hard because you're like, reality check is you can't get that. You can't get a five bedroom house with a pool for 50,000 pounds. Like it doesn't work. Um, so sometimes they will understand that. Sometimes they don't understand it. And off camera, we'll have to explain it a little bit more. Um, but either way, obviously on camera, you just have to keep going and you just have to make it work with kind of the arc of the show, I guess. And you just put on that performer smile. That's like, yeah, yeah we'll get through this. <laughs> inside, we'll <fly> through. <laughs> inside, inside you're dying. But on the outside, you're like, of course we could do this. Of course we could do it. But you're like, I, I hope we can do it. Oh, and you know, in terms of locations, what have been some of your most memorable and favorite locations that you've shot at? Oh, my favorite, 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 without a doubt, was Aruba in the Caribbean. Mm. So that was just north of Venezuela and it was beautiful. There were palm trees, you've got white sandy beaches, you've got pink flamingos in the sea with you washers just sat there having your cocktail. And the great thing about when you film in the Caribbean is because it's pretty much sunny all day, you can wrap you can start early so then you can wrap early when it gets to winter in Europe especially the sun's kind of gone by 4 35 so you can't pick anything else up which is a bit difficult because you're chasing the sun all the time mm. in the Caribbean you can just get whatever shots you need to get and, and you're good so I think the Caribbean's definitely hands down my favorite place to film because my parents are from Jamaica as well so I just naturally have a great affiliation with the, with the Caribbean um I used to love filming in Florida. That was great because you can see how, if you think you can get a lot for your money in Spain, mm. you go to Florida, like the properties are huge and they're really not that expensive at all. And they're in some great neighborhoods and great areas. So I love Florida. I think within Europe, I loved filming in Madeira, which is a subtropical um, little island just off of Portugal. Mm-hmm. And Valencia is my favorite place in Spain, without a doubt. I really want to buy somewhere in Valencia. I love it there. And so, you know, I was just about to ask you that, that in terms of for people that might be interested in buying property abroad, where would you say you probably get the best return or, you know, where people should be looking to make an investment? I mean, it all depends on exactly what people are looking for. If you're looking for a long term retirement property for example that you want to be spending maybe six months of the year in you can look at places like the Caribbean because you're flying out yes it might it might be an eight to ten hour flight but you're going to be there for six months and you can get a great return on investment Florida Caribbean if you're looking something where you just want to pop over for a quick weekend break definitely Spain is great Spain and Portugal are fantastic Spain people feel a lot more comfortable in Spain because there are loads of places where there are a lot of expat communities and loads of people speak English you don't have to worry so much about not understanding the language um, and a lot of Spanish speak English anyway so it just depends on what it is that people are looking for but if you do want something that's quick easy to get to I think Spain's a fantastic option. And even now, you know, obviously in a post-COVID world, do you see them, do you see any 
huge shifts in where people are going to buy? Do you think it will be that they'll stay uh, in the safe places, maybe like Spain? Or do you think people will try and get better deals elsewhere? I mean, what, what's your, what do you anticipate? I think people are always going to stick with areas that majority of the crowds go because it's been done before so they know that they feel safer there there are of course there are lots of people that like to take a risk and try something completely different I think that's great and there are some fantastic properties available in places like Turkey Bulgaria I did a show that came out a few weeks ago and this couple this lady and her mum but she came out with her friend bought a one-bedroom apartment in this fantastic complex for £20,500 and there are three pools in there one of them's an infinity pool like an overflow pool into another one with a big waterfall you've got a bar in the middle of this um, the swimming pool you've got three restaurants on site gym supermarket shopping mall and you can just get a bus straight down to the beach in 20 minutes so there are places like Bulgaria that people wouldn't have even thought of until they saw the show. And I had loads of people getting in touch like, oh, my God, that place is amazing. I can't believe it's so cheap. I'm going to start looking at places in Bulgaria. But it's because I didn't know about it and no one's really set the trend. So at the minute, everyone thinks Spain instantly because there are so many expats over there. Lots of people from the UK have moved over. But, you know, there are so many other places that you can find that are little golden spots that are just as fantastic, just as beautiful, but for even cheaper. So I guess it depends, again, on where it is that people want to go and if they're willing to take that risk or if they just want to be comfortable and, and safe. Again, you know, in terms of travel, it's so hard right now, isn't it? You know, we're, everybody's grounded and, you know, that must have really kind of had a, a huge impact on on everybody, I suppose, in, in, in your area now, you know, you've got another show, which is Holiday Secrets is last minute best. Mm. And there might be a lot of this that's going to happen later on in the year, where all of a sudden, if the lockdown restrictions end, and we're able to travel again, you're going to have an influx of people going, oh, yeah, I want to go next week. So, you know, talk me through that. Is last minute best? Or, or should we be looking more long term and think about planning for next year? What's your advice? Well, I think it's really difficult. When that show came out, which was January 2nd last year, January 2nd, 2020, at the time, last minute came out as best. So we were basically comparing last minute holidays to booking in advance. And you did save a bit more money with last minute, but obviously you have less choice. Now, it's not as easy, I guess, this time around to book in advance because we don't really know what's going to happen. We don't know when we're allowed out of lockdown. We don't know what countries are letting us in. We don't know if any countries are going to be put back on the corridor, if we're going to have to quarantine when we come back. So my personal opinion would probably be don't book in advance because you might have to try and then recoup that money, get a refund or exchange holiday. Whereas once we know what's going on, you can book something last minute. You know, if, if Boris says tomorrow, okay, you, you can travel wherever you want again now, then you can book something straight away and get something quick. And we know that airlines want to book up their, their seats and we know that, holiday companies want to get people so there are going to be some great deals but I think during this period of time last minute is probably going to work out as best because we just don't know what's happening in the long term. And in terms of last minute would you recommend people booking individually so for example not necessarily going through a tour operator but going right I'm going to book my own flights I'm going to do my own accommodation and doing things separately you know because again there'll be there's a huge impact on people's budgets at the minute. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's the same with all inclusive holidays as well. I would say definitely do things individually unless you find a fantastic package and there's a big sale on with say, you know, British Airways holidays or Jet2 holidays and great, but always look at the comparison because if you can do it cheaper by booking everything individually, yes, it might take you more time, but if you're going to save yourself money and then you can use that money subsequently when you're on holiday as spending money, then fantastic. But it's just whether or not you're willing to put that work in the extra graph to find something a little bit cheaper and find some better deals. Now, in terms of you, I mean, you, you do normally jet off twice a month, at least, you know, <laughs> to these incredible places. And I'm sure you've seen some of the most beautiful spas and things. How, how do you take time for you? Like, because as we've said, that is, it's an incredible job. It is brilliant. I've done some travel features myself. And I know that it, the schedule isn't what people think. It is very mm-hmm. tough. You do you are chasing the light. It is very hot. You know, you've got like yeah. you've makeups all like coming down your face and everything because it's Dripping. so hot and you're <laughs> melting. And you know, you've got to think about your clothes, but yeah, you might be sweating. And it, it, it seems very glamorous. But actually, mm-hmm. it's very hard work. And especially if you're traveling backwards and forwards to different places with jet lag, and you've got to be on camera, and you've got to be ready to go how do you take time for yourself you know what what do you enjoy the most my favorite thing is a bubble bath after filming I just love it I get to my hotel room I run that bath and I just lay in it for a good half an hour minimum um luckily as well some of the hotels that we stay in are spa hotels uh, with a place in the sun that's happened a few times and with I've got another show called My Dream Derelict Home in the sun which is also in the sunshine um, and I think just being put up in nice hotels as well makes such a difference because you can get back and you can just get into bed and not stress about somewhere not being clean or there being too much noise on the outside and you can't rest so a, a bath for me is without a doubt great for stress release and if there is a spa at the hotel I like to try and book in a massage and just go and you know go around the circuits whether it's a jacuzzi or the sauna and I'm making this sound fantastic aren't I <laughs> you're not doing yourself any um, favors for making this no. sound like work <laughs> no I'm not um but I think just taking a book you know really being able to switch off going down to the beach listening to the waves crashing going out for a nice dinner getting an early night is so important when you're out filming um and it always helps as well if you've got a good team around you because they can bring spirits up and they can help you relax and switch off so I think a good book music bubble bath would be my top three and eat well you've got to eat well when you're away working all the time because you don't want to get sick yeah you you, exactly that you don't want to get sick that's the Mm. worst thing ever so actually on that how do you avoid getting sick on holiday or, or being away do you know what I was I was a bit worried because I was away towards the end of last year from um, September to December filming A Place in the Sun and My Dream Derelict Home in the Sun back to back. And I was traveling around Spain, France and Italy, which were the three worst hit other than the UK places in Europe for COVID. So obviously everyone's worried, everyone's panicking. I hope you're going to be okay when you're abroad. I'm hoping I'm going to be okay. And I just have a Barocca Boost every morning. I stick that in my water, make sure I've got that. And I take vitamins and I just try and eat well and sleep well those those are the three things my barocca slash vitamins eat well and sleep well because if you're eating junk food and if you're not sleeping then you're just going to be run down your immune system's going to be low and then you're going to pick something up you know just like that so I think those things are extremely important to stay healthy on the road um, and make sure that you can just fulfill your work duties and just before we finish up for anyone who's struggling right now as we've said we seeing your journey you know you've you've come up against some serious setbacks, but those setbacks have almost taken you into such a different direction, into a place now where you have this 
life where you're doing, you know, you're kind of fulfilling your passion with property and equally with TV presenting into a place that would probably be even more incredible than you originally imagined in the first place. So what, what would you say to people now that have, you know, they've come up against some serious setbacks or adversity and how to keep themselves motivated and going forward? So my phrase is rejection is deflection to perfection. So anytime you get rejected, just think it's because that one wasn't meant for you. There's something better on the way. And actually you've, you've missed out on something that you really should have missed out on to get the thing that you really want. Um, and what's meant for you will never pass you by. So it's so easy to say, and especially when you're waiting or hoping for something so big and then you don't get it and you feel, you know, really upset about it or you're down and it's hard to pick yourself up, just know that that means there is something better waiting for you around the corner. And whether it's you that manifests that and brings that into fruition, or if it's something else that comes in and you didn't even expect it, it just came out of nowhere, there is always going to be something there. You just have to believe in it. You have to pick yourself up and keep going and just keep visualizing exactly what it is that you want. Because when you visualize it and you see yourself there, that's how the universe works. It, it also sees you there. So that might sound like a whole load of gobbledygook to some people, but just try it. Just write down what it is that you want, focus on it, visualize it, see yourself there, and then I guarantee you'll manifest that. But just remember, rejection is deflection to perfection. I absolutely love that. Scala, it has been an absolute pleasure to have spent time with you today and to hear you talk all about how to be savvy in life and property, picking the right places to go abroad. Honestly, it's been such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for being with me. I hope you guys at home have also enjoyed it and found Scarlett's advice helpful. If you'd like to follow Scarlett on her incredible adventures with A Place in the Sun and My Dream Derelict Home in the Sun, then you can follow her at Instagram at MissScarDoug or visit the Channel 4 website www.channel4.com forward slash programs where you'll be able to revisit all of the episodes. If you'd like more wellbeing, fashion and beauty, then you can always visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the In Conversation page and subscribing to any of our YouTube and podcast channels. Do leave us your rates and reviews it's been lovely to hear all of your feedback on this new series if you're a social butterfly you can also catch us on instagram and facebook at official capsule i'll be back next week with another very special guest so all that's left for us to say today is goodbye so it's goodbye from scarlet bye <laughs> and goodbye from me This episode of The Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes. Perfect for healthy hydration.